Welcome to Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. I appreciate you tuning in. Look, we live in a world where uh, people struggle at times. People struggle at times. They succeed at times. They're happy. They're mad. They're sad. They're even surprised. You experience all of those emotions. You go through the whole gamut. Look, if you were going to get in a relationship and you could talk to your earlier self, uh, let's say as a young person, your first relationship, a lot of people think when they get in a relationship, they're going to get in almost like a boat and stay in that one path for the duration of their relationship. But what if you could go back and tell your younger self, what if we could tell all you young listeners out there right now that when you get in a relationship, you're not just getting in a boat you're getting, you're going for an adventure with that other person. That means they're going to be ups and downs. You're going to visit places on this adventure that are going to take you to places you didn't even know about. You're going to learn about ways you could handle things and ways that are probably not very effective to handle them at all. And look, I do a podcast called Emotional Management, but I do this radio show because I love to talk with you. Um, I would love for you to be a part of the show. The number is 866-391-1020. But maybe you're in a relationship right now and you're stuck. You're at a spot on this adventure with your partner where you're not sure where to go, what to do. If you are, give me a call, 866-391-1020. My hope tonight is to give some insight as to why we do some of the things that we do I think, look, when it comes to emotional management, we don't get taught this as children. We really haven't been set up with, here's how to handle these emotions. And that's why I'm so uh, grateful to KDKA for doing this show where we, we really are trying to help all of our listeners in any way that we can. So anything that you're struggling with, that you would love to have someone give you some insight from the outside around 866-391-1020. And of course, you can email us on the Dollar Bank Instant Access at kdkaradio.com. So I had a call from someone recently talking about wanting to fix things that were going on with her grandson. She wasn't able to fix some of the pain that he was experiencing. And the things that she was expressing about wanting to fix him were the very same things that anyone in a relationship, when they see their partner struggling and want to fix it, it's that same feeling. We get this sense that when we see our loved ones struggling, that we want to fix them, take away their pain. And that is so beautiful. It's a beautiful aspect to human beings. We want to fix the pain. If, if our children are hurt, we want to put a Band-Aid on the cut. And, and, and we want to make sure they're okay and take care of them. And in relationships, when we care about people, when we truly care about them, when they're hurting, we're hurting. And there are reasons why. There are actual neuro- neurological reasons why we hurt when we see others hurting. There are reasons that draw us together and want to give that compassion and love. But here is the difference. The difference is this. Can you actually fix the other person's emotions? And my answer is I'm real skeptical that you can actually fix someone's emotions. What you can do is give them love. You can be there for them. You can, you can say, I'm here with you. 
But it's not like there's a set a specific set of magic words that everyone says and boom, that takes care of everything. If that was the case, instead of counseling programs being filled with counselors learning theories, they would be filled with learning scripts of what to say to people when. But there is no magic script out there, and I don't think that we can fix someone else's pain, but what we can do is be there with them. So the thought occurred to me that if you're a fixer, if you're somebody who really wants to fix what's going on with your loved one when you see them struggling and you want to fix it, then picture this, trying to fix their pain in the short term will make you feel better because you're like, hey, I'm trying to fix this person's pain. And, and specifically, a lot of times people try to fix things by presenting solutions. So, hey, just do this, this, and this, and you'll feel better. But here's the problem. Even if you give the best of advice, even if you come up with the best fit way to fix that person's pain or problem, what if that person's not ready to do that then? And you could, at a minimum, you're going to make them now feel guilty, not only about whatever they're struggling with, but now they have the guilt of not being able to follow through with your answer, your solution. So you're, you're technically, you, you could be pushing a wedge between you and your loved one. And then you wonder, well, why not do what I'm saying? And it's so, the word just is fascinating in the world of psychology, because think about it. The word just minimizes what other people are experiencing. So, hey, you're just going through this or you just need to do that. And our solution sounds so simple when it's other people. So we think I'm fixing it. I'm making it better for you. But you're not. At a minimum, you're putting more pressure on somebody to follow through with your solution. If you're trying, you, I'm fixing it. I got to fix it for you. But so let's say in the short term, here's my thought. In the short term, you make yourself feel better because you're like, look, I'm trying to fix this person. But you're actually doing damage. You're, you're not, not doing damage necessarily, but you're maybe putting a wedge between you and that other person. And then in the long term, you can be pushing people away. So short term, I feel good. Long term, not so much. If the reverse happens where you don't strive to fix someone's emotions in the short term, that might take more effort on your part if you're a quote fixer. But even though it'll be more difficult up front, you'll have a better payoff long term because now you'll be a safe space for that person to listen to them. Look, if you want a real simple three-step process, you don't have to wait to buy walking through anger because you're one of my listeners. So you're going to be able to hear this advice right here on the show. But yield theory is predicated on three core actions, and that is listen, validate, and explore options. And you're going to get to read all about that when this book comes out in October, Walking Through Anger. But you don't have to wait till October to talk to me. I would love to talk with you no matter what you're experiencing. But specifically, if you are a fixer and you're trying to fix someone in your life and they're not listening and you're not getting through to them and you want to know how to, well, fix that, <laughs> then give me a call because that fixing has to do with what you can do for the only person on the planet you can actually control, and that's you. And as long as you're seeking things that you can do differently, you have a much better chance at getting what you want. The number is 866-391-1020. Dollar Bank Instant Access is kdkaradio.com. Would love to hear from you. My name is Dr. Christian Conti. This is 
Emotional Management on KDKA Radio. Welcome to Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. This is the show about you and about what you're going through and about how you can get through it in the most effective way. The number is 866-391-1020. Whatever you're struggling with, if you would like some insight, give me a call, 866-391-1020. I love doing this format to be able to hear from you. We have some emails that we're definitely going to get to um, tonight, but I also love being able to have that dialogue, that conversation. So many times I've run into people now, um, and this is cool, I've been traveling a lot recently, so I was in uh, Virginia, then Washington, D.C., then New York City, and when you go to different places, you see different perspectives on the world. You see so many different perspectives on the world. In um, New York City, for instance, I was talking to a guy who was actually going to call into a radio show. And when he, I was talking about what I uh, do, and he said, oh, you know, I really wanted to call in, and I was afraid everybody would know who I was. And he said, and I said that to my therapist, and my therapist said, there are like uh, 8 million people in this city, and so where are you? Let me stop and say it with love, but where are you in your life where you're thinking that people can actually know who you are in a city of... Eight million. So we can think, you can think sometimes, oh no, people are going to hear, they're going to know it's me. Um, I always say you can change your name if you want to, if that would make you feel better. Um, you're welcome to say, you know, hey, hey, this is, make up a name because we cannot uh, see you on the radio. But I love hearing from you. Not only do you give insight to, to hopefully get insight yourself when you call in, but you also give insight to others when they're able to see how you are dealing with situations. Plus, I also love when people get to see that they are not alone in what they're dealing with. When you realize that you're not alone in what you're dealing with, and you, because we can get in our heads and we can think, oh, there's something really wrong with me because I'm feeling this way or I'm thinking this way. But when you are able to uh, think when you, when you're going in your, when you get in your head and you think that I'm the only one that's feeling this way and you hear others, you say, wait a minute, I'm not the only one that feels like this. So I, I think it's really important. So let's go to the phone lines now and Colleen, you're on emotional management. Oh, thank you. Um, I have a problem. I have been found. I was another woman and I'm not how to get him to win him back. How, what should I do? Because I've been nagging at him and I've been yelling at him and that's not working. Well, that's great that you realize that it's not working. Um, that's like a huge first step. What's the opposite? Well, what's gotten you back in the past? If people have pushed you away and then you've come back, what's made you come back? Come back to him? Yeah, what's drawn you to come back yeah, to others? Yeah, I love very much I adore him. When when you were able to when you were able to adore say that one more time. I adored them. Okay, so when you said you adored them, um, that's is no, that what? No, I Okay, let yeah, me. So, I'm a person, yeah, I, I'm I'm very um, emotional. Okay, so you got a lot of loving. You, I guess is what, loving and loyal. Okay, so that sounds like some beautiful traits. You're loving and loyal, and you're very passionate. And so when you are in love, and then you say you find yourself nagging your loved one right now, thinking, 
Right. You're he's thinking, not in love, and, he, he, and I know he's really in love, and, and he denies it, but he told, he tells it, and then he says it's not true, and then he goes back and says, man, I think it is true. What should I do? Well, what's your gut tell you to do? Just stay with him. Okay. Now, but I'm, I'm thinking, I'm hearing you say that he's thinking, he's saying he does love but you, and then he doesn't. Hand, my gut tells me I separate. Okay, your gut's telling you you should separate. Yeah. All right, so if your gut is telling you... he doesn't want to separate. But what do you want to do? I want to break up. You want to break up? For all the years. So you do want to break up? Yes. Yeah. I don't know how to get him. He's just not in love as much as he used to be. And I'm trying to figure out how to get him to fall back in love. Okay, so this is a good question. How do you get somebody to fall back in love? Well, what did you do ori- originally? Yeah. Originally, when you were drawn to this person and this person fell in love, what were you doing? What were you? What was going on at the time that drew that person to you? Uh... Um, I, it, we were just dating, I guess, or whatever. Uh, what happened was, I don't know how to explain it. I tried to happen, and then we got close. Okay. I bet during that time of the tragedy, you were just there for each other, and it was right. probably less about telling each other what to do and telling each other how to think and more about just right. being there for each other. Right. So if you want this person to be drawn back to you, you can kind of exhibit those qualities again, which is be there without judgment, be there without telling him how to live or what to do or what decisions to make. Yeah, that's what my problem is. That's what I'm trying to I'm, I'm nagging at me, Chad. Yeah. So I would do that. I think you know exactly what to do. Now it's just a matter of doing it. It's not going to be easy because your instinct is going to say nag, nag, nag. But I think you, you know your gut is telling you the truth. It's time to step back and be a safe space for him. Take a deep breath. Yes, I love it. Colleen, thank you so much for your call. Yeah, thank you very much. Definitely. I wish you much peace. So, um, yeah, this is a important concept of how do we get somebody to fall back in love with us? Well... What drew that person to you in the first place? We always want to think about that. We want to think about what was it. So many times in relationships, like I said, you don't just get in one boat and just take smooth sailing from here on out. Life's an adventure. And just as you are learning and growing and developing as a person, so is the other person. And when you first meet, when you first connect with people, it's rarely that you connect around um nagging the person, telling them they're wrong for how they think, they're wrong for what they do. Because there's a tendency when you encounter people who are telling you um, to think differently from how you think, believe differently from how you believe, or feel differently from how you feel. When you encounter people who are doing that, there's not a real uh, attractive quality. So you're not really drawn to that and say, oh, I'd love to get in a relationship with somebody who's treating me like that. But then later on down the road, we find this what I call the cartoon world, where we say, this is how this person should be thinking. This is how this person should be feeling. And when they don't feel like that, we think it's our job to tell them how they should feel. 
what they should do. And as Colleen pointed out, she's right. That's called nagging. And as we nag others, we become unattractive to them. So I have this analogy of jealousy as an ugly flower, where if you think about um, if we're all flowers, and you just had this image that we're all flowers, and every flower pretty looks pretty much alike. Some of them are similar, but they're all beautiful in their own way. And then all of a sudden, what if there was a flower that just started saying really mean things and picking out her, her petals and sort of yelling and, and putting the other person down and calling them names. And then the more they kind of ripped out their own petals, eventually, if you compared that flower with other flowers, well, of course the other ones are going to look more beautiful. And so we kind of do that self-fulfilling prophecy. We nag people, we push them away. We become the ugly flower in the sense that we allow our jealousy or our shoulds and making them live the way we want them to, to override our natural inclination to just connect, to listen, to validate, to explore options of where you can go from this moment forward. There's a big difference when you first start dating and you're starting to fall in love even. Let's say that when you're starting to fall in love, you're starting to open up your heart and be vulnerable with someone and you're listening and you're treasuring and you're valuing what that person's offering you. And then somewhere along the way in relationships, oftentimes people start to allow themselves to start to direct or tell their partner how to feel, what to think, what to do. And we really can't tell each other those things. As I said at the onset, we really can't fix the other person's emotions, but we can certainly be there with them. We can make ourselves a safe space. We can make our energy beautiful to be around. Beauty, in my estimation, goes way beyond what people look like and way more about what people exude. And that is something you have tremendous control over, the energy you exude. I would love to talk to you to try to help clear out whatever energy, whatever things are going on in your way uh, to deal with your emotions in the best possible way. The number is 866-391-1020. That's 866-391-1020. This is Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti on KDKA Radio. Welcome to Emotional Management. This show is, look, this is an opportunity to discuss the things that often are just not discussed, but are felt all the time. So we don't talk about them, but we feel them all the time. Our emotions aren't wrong or bad uh, they're not, it's not about that. It's not about being good or bad, right or wrong. It's about teaching us something. Our emotions provide us information and we can learn from that information. We, we like to think of ourselves as evolved beings who learn and that's how we continue to get better and better. And we continue to do more and achieve more. But look, ultimately we're all experiencing emotions every day. And how do, how do we deal with them? How do you deal with them? Well, if you'd like some insight on how you're handling your emotions, the number is 866-391-1020. I think the more we know, the more we understand about human behavior, the better chance we have to make the changes that will best help us. Look, uh, when the ancient Greeks did tragedies, they were usually about the 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 royalty the the wealthy people in society and when the ancient greeks did the comedies it was usually about the everyday people doing everyday things 
But here's the deal. Whether you are a wealthy, successful, not considering yourself successful, not considering yourself wealthy, the reality is we all have emotions and we all deal with them every day. So you might be feeling some way, even if it's content, you might be feeling something every day. And so how do you deal with these emotions? So many times people will say, well, I, I, do with, I deal with my emotions really well until it's time to not deal with them well. I don't even know what that means. But I know that when we, we give ourselves an excuse to act a certain way or do a certain thing, we usually end up doing it. So I think it's worth it to realize what are we doing? How do we do it in the best possible way? The number is 866-391-1020. The more we know about why we're doing what we're doing, the better chance we have to change it. It's about shining that light down on us to figure out what it is that we're doing. I had a question today um, from Brian who said, what about justified anger? What about justified anger? So Brian, that's a great question. My question to you is, does anyone ever get angry and in the moment think that their anger isn't justified? Because actually what we tell ourselves can ignite or perpetuate our anger. And so if your anger is just, we believe our anger is justified. I have a right to be this angry at this person. And the reality is you always have a right to be angry. You have a right to feel however you want to feel. But the question is, what are you doing with that anger? So Brian, my, what I like to highlight for people is I think, yes, you always feel justified in your anger. In the moment, a lot of times from experience afterward, you look back and say, oh, I wish I had handled it differently. But the question is not, is it justified or not, but how do you handle it? What do you do with it? Let's go to the phone lines and talk to Kimberly uh, from Pittsburgh. Kimberly, you're on emotional management. Hi. Um, I just had a couple questions about in the past year, I've past two years, I've switched jobs like three times. And when I was speaking to other people about it, they were saying that a lot of times I was just in unfortunate situations where you know, supervisors that I had might not have been um, as professional as a level that I was used to. And um, But I kind of wanted to look a little deeper into that situation to, I want to be a good example for my, my son, and I want him to understand that you know, that's not the best idea to have. It's not the best situation to be in to switch jobs that much. And um, so I wanted to maybe find out what kind of um, maybe coping mechanisms or, you know, emotional tools that I could use in order to develop a little bit more longevity. Yeah, I love that. And, and I think it's, first of all, it's great insight to be able to recognize um, that you want to teach a lesson to your son about what you're doing with your own actions. So that's great. That's great awareness to have. Um, I don't think that it's wrong or bad to switch jobs if they were the wrong jobs for you, but there are so many different ways to look at this without even hearing more, knowing anything else about you. The one thing we can say right off the bat is say, well, you were the one common factor in those different positions. And what's outstanding just to hear when you even begin to talk about this is you kind of have that awareness. Like you say, yeah, I ran into some unfortunate supervisors, but 
I, I almost wonder what was I doing? What role was I playing in it? Because you're the only person you can control anyway. Um, so you calling in already aware that they're, that you can only control you and that you were that same factor in all those three or the whatever many situations. I think that's a great place to start. What do you think? Okay. What do you think was a dry? What do you, if let's say let's play a almost an acting game of if we had to play your job is to play the role of Kimberly, who it was entirely her fault in those situations. What did you learn? What could you have done? Or what did you do that you say, well, yeah, that was all, that was my fault. If we exaggerated it and pretended it was all your fault. I think one of the situations, um, or one of the things that I did was I tend to get, I, I want to do very well. I want to, I'm like a little bit of an overachiever. And um, in real life, it's, when I was in school, it was very, much just who I was, that I did very well in school and wanted to do well. And in life, though, sometimes that doesn't happen. We end up in um, we end up in situations where you know you're not always going to excel because that's just life isn't about excelling all the time. Right, um, right. Well, so you're 100 percent right. I think I got a little bit just really stressed out and put a lot of pressure on myself and then end up getting so stressed out that I would make mistakes that maybe I wouldn't normally make if I was not stressed out. Well, in sports, there's uh, what's called, actually it's in any performance, but it's called optimal level anxiety. So if you have too much anxiety, you don't perform at your best. If you don't have any anxiety, you don't perform at your best because you're not even care enough to try. And then there's kind of an optimal level. But it sounds like you had maybe too much and and maybe worried about, am I doing things perfectly? And look, in school, one of the biggest challenges I used to see from grad students when they would come to graduate school from undergrad was as as an undergrad, you could control more of the variables. Um, In school, there are a limited number of variables, but life just gives you way more, way more variables. And so we can't control as much. And we sometimes try to fit things into the way we think they should be rather than adapting to the way the things actually are. Does that line up with your experience at all? Yeah, I agree. I think that um, that optimal anxiety um, analogy that you gave with the sports, I agree. I think sometimes uh, there's just too much anxiety just enough that, you know, if I, if I try harder, I'm going to see myself achieving. And then too little anxiety where you get bored. And, um, and I think maybe what I did was I pushed myself um, maybe a little bit too, too hard. And then uh, that probably was, leads myself to make, you know, led me to make mistakes that I normally wouldn't make. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe maybe the challenge is to start to question those, this is how I should be, this is what I should do, um, and maybe challenge those shoulds and come back over to, you know, this is realistic for me to do, and figure out those realist, figure out the realistic area and kind of help ease yourself out of all those shoulds that sound like they're really weighing on you and causing you a lot of stress. Okay. I, yeah, I do think that that's, 
that's helpful. I'm tr- I um I'm trying to you know make sure that with um my new job that I make sure that I'm you know on the right path. And it it's funny though I felt right away when starting this um, new position I just feel so much more relaxed and different and. I'm working with some people that I had worked with in the past and I just, it just feels like the right spot for me. So I think that I'm just trying to make sure that I, I keep on the correct path and take a couple deep breaths and, and, you know, do the best that I can do. And the lesson I think the, I, I, just from my impression, the lesson that I think can transform your son's life is to see that when things were going uh, not well from job to job, instead of saying it's all everybody else, you're looking to say, what role do I play? Because that's teaching him the most valuable lesson in life, which is we can complain about others all day, but the reality is they're still going to be them. We are only in control of ourselves. So I think that lesson is a beautiful one you're passing to him. I, yeah, and that's main, the main reason why I called in, because I try and think about things, you know, he's a young boy now, but when he's 24 or 25 or 26 or whatever, and he's in the workforce, I don't want him to say, well, Mom, you know, I watched you. And right, right. No, it, I love it. That's, you know, and, it's so thoughtful. I, it's so listen. I'm I'm hit up against a break, but I'm so it's so thoughtful, and I appreciate your call so much. So I definitely am wishing you a ton of peace. Thank you so much for your call. Thanks. This is emotional management on KDKA Radio. It's emotional management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. Look, this is the show where you can call and talk about the things that you're experiencing. The number is 866-391-1020. I think a great call from Kimberly just now about uh, the workplace and switching jobs and being mindful to be a great role model for her son and really thinking about long term down the road. Like what, what are the best decisions? Just recognizing as a mom, she's role modeling for her son is just a beautiful aspect to parenting. Let's go to the phone lines. Uh, Rebecca, uh, you're on KDKA Radio. Hi, Doctor. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. I called in a couple months ago and uh, told you about that uh, group, Recovery International, that I attend. And um, it made me think of some things, some spottings for Kimberly that was just on. Oh, nice. That might be helpful. Um, some of the things that we say at our uh, meetings are that, you know, we're not heroes, angels, or saints. And so sometimes there's... Oh, I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I heard heroes, angels, or saints, and then it cut out. Oh, I'm sorry. I said uh, that, you know, we have to remind ourselves that we're not heroes, angels, or saints. That, you know, average people have things that um, that come upon us in life. But also, like, expectations and disappointments with having a job. You think that the job's going to be perfect, but sometimes it doesn't always work out. And that's an expectation and disappointment. But it's also part of life. And I think I heard Kimberly saying that, which I applaud her for. And like you said, I applaud her for wanting to make a good example for her kids. Yeah, it is. And I love what you said about that. Cause I think we do get ourselves into a thought where I must be the hero. I must be perfect. And when we do those kind of must, those are just, we can't live up to it. There's no way to physically live up to it. 
So we only set ourselves up? Yeah. Perfection is an illusion, and that's not a that you, nobody can hold themselves to that standard because it's like you said impossible. Well, I, lo- I appreciate you calling in because I like you highlighting that because I think there are so many people out there who definitely resonate with that and are at that level where they're striving for perfection, thinking I must be this, I must make the perfect decision. So I don't, um, I don't say things perfectly. I don't do things perfectly. Um, but what has changed about me is I'm more accepting of if I do something and it's not perfect, I say, that's okay. I'm not supposed to be perfect. And it radically shifts the way I experience that moment. Yeah, we have to have the courage to make a mistake sometimes. And, um, yeah, again, I just, I applaud split Kimberly, but I also, um, you know, she's treating her mental health as a business, not a game. And, um, you know, sometimes there are things that frustrate us, but it's outer environment. She can only control her inner environment. I love it. I appreciate you listening and calling in and um, helping out uh, Kimberly as well. It's awesome. I love your show. You're awesome. Thank you. I appreciate you. Have a great night. You too. Um, that's awesome. That's that's really the human spirit right there. Um, what an incredible person Rebecca is to call in and say, listen, I just want to give Kimberly some insight. And she's so right about that in terms of um, perfection and people striving for perfection. And maybe you're out there thinking right now, oh, my, I kind of strive for perfection myself. So we live in an age where we are easily we can go from one extreme to the other. And I say that tongue in cheek because pe- I believe that probably as long as human beings um, were more cognitively evolved creatures, have we gone from one extreme to the other? It just seems to kind of make sense in our basic human psyche. But a lot of times people will say, well, if I'm not striving per- for perfection, then I should just be okay with not even trying. And that's silly because that's just the complete opposite and not striving for perfection. It's not um, an all or nothing uh, philosophy. Um, it's funny because there was a comedy movie, a Will Ferrell, uh, comedy movie where it was a racing movie and the tagline his father gave him was, if you ain't first, you're last. And it's just so funny because it's a, it's a comedy. It's a comedy. It's, it's designed to evoke laughter. If you ain't first, you're last. Well, if you're competing and there are more than, than two people, then that's just simply not true. There are lots of different places uh, to be in. And so when you think about that in life, you, you, when you're putting pressure on yourself to be perfect and you think, well, if I can't be perfect, then I must be terrible. Well, that's just silly. That's one extreme to the other. Let's kind of find that balance in the middle and realize that you don't need to be perfect, but you can still try really, really hard. So I was doing a, a talk in the prison a couple weeks ago, and I, you know, if you listen to this show frequently, you know I tell a lot of Zen stories and teaching tales. Um, I have a book called Teaching Stories and one called Life Lessons where I do those real kind of brief stories with lessons, but I love that stuff. So a guy came up to me, we were doing, um, uh, we were did this breakout uh, sessions kind of thing, and during the breakout he told this story, and then he came up to me and he said, well, I'd like to see you tell that story. Well, there's a crowd of 200 people listening and you want me to tell the story and you just told it to me about 30 seconds ago and I said all right I'll take that challenge so I tried telling the story um I did not 
think I did a very good job with it. And the guy was so nice afterward. I said, what would you, what, what would you think of that? What, what would you give me? And he said, nah, maybe like a seven. I said, that's being way too nice. I was, mine was like a four or three, something like that. Um, and I said, here's the thing. I did it for a reason. I wanted you to see, I'm going to try. And even though I know I'm not going to execute it uh, perfectly. I'm going to do the best I can. And I'm also going to show you that it's not the end of the world to stand in front of 200 people and tell a story. That's not the best, you know, not doing it in the best possible way. It was a great teaching tale. Um, but I, I like to sit with stories for a long time before I end up just telling them. So the lesson was not being perfect. My gosh, if I was younger, if I was really insecure, I might think, Oh no, people are going to think this or that. My goodness, I have a radio show. I talk all the time. Of course, there are going to be things I say that are not exactly the way I would like to say them, and everything's not going to come out perfectly, but that's not the end of the world. We give our best. We let go. As you're listening to others, for instance, it would probably be really easy for you to say to me if I messed up, hey, Doc, it's no big deal. It was just a sm- like a no- we didn't even notice it. But if you mess up, you're much harder on yourself. And so I think it's important for us to step back and really look at it. So I would love for you to look at how are you evaluating yourself? Are you going nonstop? Are you being easy on yourself? It's worth checking. It's worth stepping back and seeing. I'd love for you to be a part of this show. The number is 866-391-1020. I think this is a chance to say to, to have the dialogue around the things that you're dealing with. So for instance, when we had callers call in tonight so far, we're, we're seeing we're able to talk it out and just see things slightly differently than if we just um, if we just write it in. But if that's where you feel most comfortable, then please write it in on the Dollar Bank Instant Access and email us at kdkradio.com. Uh, you go to kdk, kdkradio.com and then go to the Dollar Bank sign and you'll be able to send us an email. Or give us a call at 866-391-1020. So... I've been out for the last couple of weeks traveling, but I've done some new YouTube videos and I'd like to make you aware of that channel, the YouTube channel. You just type in Dr. Christian Conte, C-O-N-T-E on YouTube, but you'll see some of that. I did a new video on this movement. I started in the prison. I've talked a little bit about on this show, but I think it's something that can relate directly to your life. So that's why I called the video Life Goals you have to check it out. But your goal for tonight can be to hash it out. Talk about whatever's going on inside you, whatever you're struggling with. This is the show where we can deal with it. The number is 866-391-1020. And not only will you get to hear uh, my insight, but you're going to hear insight from other callers as well. 866-391-1020. This is Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti on KDKA Radio. This is Emotional Management. So glad that you could be with us tonight. I love doing this show. I love meeting the kind people all over who are listening. Just got this awesome, encouraging, kind note from Paul um, in New Jersey. He said, hey, Dr. Conti, I renamed your show the Super Fresh Emotional Management. I like that, Paul. Through your work videos, books, tweets, podcasts, and radio show, they've helped me have a super fresh outlook on life and helped me understand anxiety plus how to better deal with it. Also, you've helped me be a better husband, father, and better person. You also remind me of a person who said, I'm the greatest of all time. I don't know about that. Muhammad Ali is pretty awesome. Anyway, he says, well, Doc, you're the greatest of all time. Oh, thank you so much. Keep making people float like a butterfly and get people through hell's half acre. Thanks for the call and thanks for the slingshot. 
And Paul, and he said, P.S., my wife uh, liked my call to your show because you were awesome. I appreciated your call. Um, and the fact that you put yourself out there and that you work hard on changing things, uh, just fantastic. So thanks, Paul. I, listen, it's not easy to always take uh, compliments. I don't think it's easy to um, do, but I think it's um, also really I like to express my gratitude. So that's why I read that um, because I'm grateful that people take the time to call in, write in, write into my website and talk about um, how the show's impacting them. So I definitely appreciate that. I appreciate the kind words people say. Um, from social media stuff too. It's it's. Um, I'm d definitely trying to give you my best. So I do a one minute emotional management podcast. Uh, also on iTunes, you just uh, go to iTunes. It's called Emotional Management. This is kind of one hit, um, one hit uh, minutes. But this one's called Boxing in Between Rounds. Boxers need a rest in between rounds. You would too. You actually do, too. You've argued with loved ones. You've probably even had disagreements that lasted or lingered longer than you would have liked. And maybe you even threw around the phrases, we've been fighting all day or we're fighting right now to someone else to describe your interaction, even when you're currently not fighting. So here's my advice. Give yourself a rest in between rounds. Don't call it fighting when you're not actually interacting. Only define it as arguing, disagreeing, or fighting during the exact moments that your argument or disagreement or fight lasts. And if you do that, you might just be surprised to see that not only does avoiding defining your fights in exaggerated ways help your peace throughout your day, it will also help you lessen the intensity of it all or the actual interactions occurring. So think about that. Are you boxing in between rounds are you boxing in between rounds in your life have you had that situation where you're in a fight and you're arguing with someone and it feels like you're still fighting or you might even define it well we're fighting well or well she's not even home or he's not home right now but we're still fighting are you fighting or on this current moment are you not fighting how you define what you're experiencing really changes things for you it changes how you experience them it's important to be mindful of that, to think about what am I saying to myself? In between rounds, give yourself a rest. <laughs> think of it almost in between. So there's, um, when, you have, when you have rage where you start spiraling over and over and the rage gets more and more, even when that person's not around, you understand that that rage is created in your mind. It's getting bigger and bigger, but there's no new information that's happening. You're just allowing yourself to go over it deeper and deeper. Well, you're the only one who has access to your mind and the way you're describing what you're experiencing. So sometimes it's important, instead of just picking up steam and spiraling downward, it's important to just kind of step back, take a moment. So we did a train ride uh, this week. We went to New York City. And uh, my wife and daughter and I, we, so we went to New York City on this train. We're on the way back. The train um, had to stop for a while. You know, they had to do some repairs. And there were a lot of people who were getting antsy on the train. But a gentleman came by and he said, well, all of a sudden laughing back here. Uh, my wife and daughter and I were at this table and we're playing cards and we're laughing. And we're having a good time. And, uh, you know, because a lot of people were getting really antsy that we had been stopped for 40 minutes and might have had to been stopped a little longer. And so I said, well, we're right where we want to be. 
we're together. Like that's when you're present in that moment, instead of getting relying on what should have been happening or where the train should have been, but just being present with where it was, it changed it. So the train was where it was, and yet probably everyone on it to some degree experienced it slightly differently. Uh, my daughter was saying, man, I don't want to get off this train. It's just so much fun. We really had a great time doing it. It's awesome to be able to just have that time face-to-face. Uh, we took it from Pittsburgh to New York, so it was eight hours, and it was an awesome time. It was great. To be able to be present for that time is really fantastic. So ask yourself, are you boxing in between rounds? Are you arguing with people when you're not even near them? My goodness, I met somebody once who was so upset with his in-laws and I said, my goodness, like this must be awful for you. Or is this something you're dealing with? Like you must see them like every day. And he said, no, he only sees them once a year on a holiday, (laughs) once a year on a holiday. And you're talking about it like it's happening right now. Like how much time do you actually spend? So how long is that holiday? Three hours? So three hours out of an entire year is the discomfort for you. And yet think about how much more discomfort you create for yourself talking about it when it's not even happening. It's not even happening. Um, So you're creating this monster in your mind about how awful it is. And what's interesting about, I call them anger targets, an anger target. When you're an angry person, you find a target. And the target is what you will talk about all day long. You will make that like the problem in your life because you don't want to face it. The problem is your anger. Because if that target went away, you would find something new to be angry with. You'd rarely see somebody where, okay, that one thing went away. Okay, now I never experience anger again. If you're experiencing a lot of anger, that anger is something that my hope is that you learn to deal with and learn to figure out what it's all about so that you can free yourself from it because it can be crippling, especially if you're spending a whole year worrying about something that happens three hours out of your life uh, out of the year. Um, you know, and, and it's funny because I even asked like, is there, is there like like abuse going on during this three hours? Like what's, what's that? No, I just don't like it. Oh, you don't like it. So you're creating this misery all year long and making that such a huge weight And uh, it was interesting because he didn't realize he was making it a weight and he was like, oh, no, it's not a big deal. But he didn't see his own emotion as he talked about it. If your emotion is showing that it's a big deal to you, then it's really difficult to hide and tell people, no, it's not a big deal. Um, Also, if you talk about it, it's probably important to you. So think about that the next time you're having a conversation with someone, you're only bringing up what's in your mind. Every time you're talking to people, you're talking about what's going on inside of your mind or what you value. What you spend your time on, you value. So if you're watching things that anger you, that's what, va- that's what you value. And maybe there's a reason. Maybe you're feeling really angry and watching that gives you an anger target to be upset about so that you can release some of that anger. But there's another way to deal with what you're going through. 866-391-1020 is the number. And I'd love to hear from you. This is Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. It's your weekly checkup from the neck up on KDKA Radio. This is emotional management. I love coming into music intros. I do. I just get so excited. I'm always excited about the work I'm doing. I think it's it's an honor to do the kind of stuff I do. Um, this next email is real powerful, and it's something that I think it's important for us to talk about. So here it is. Um, 
I'm going to, uh, we're going to, this is from Mike. It says, hello, Dr. Conti. I recently had an episode between me and my fiance where I hurt her physically and it has taken a huge toll on our relationship and both of us too. I can't say that it was the first time I had hurt her physically, but this time it was outrageous. I've accepted that I need serious anger and emotional management therapy and that nothing I did during that episode was justifiable. I really want to get help and I know it'll be a long process, but I want to do it to make my fiance and our relationship whole again. Also, we are taking some time off of each other and it's really hard for me to be away because we love each other too much and I really feel guilty for doing this and I'm not able to stay away. So any help regarding this too um, will be much appreciated. So uh, Mike, all right, listen, we have, there's so much about this. First, I appreciate your willingness to write in and I feel that desperation in your voice. There is, when we know you do something wrong at, at any point in life and, and to me, like anytime we're, um, perpetrating violence on somebody, um, we're doing something wrong. And so you were wrong in that moment. And so you realize that right now you guys are away from each other, but you are wanting to kind of fix it faster than what it's going to be. So you're saying the right things. And first of all, you know, I have no judgment for people. Like we are where we are, whatever happened, happened. The greatest thing we can do is learn and change it so that we're not doing the same thing, not repeating this in the future. It's never okay um, for you to hit your fiance. This is never okay. Um, there's never a reason to. There's never a reason to. Um, there never was. And I definitely hear you saying that you don't think it was justifiable. Um, I also hear you saying that you want to get help and you know it'll be a long process, but it's followed by a but. And that is, you say, I, I have accepted I need serious emotional, emotional and anger and emotional management, and that nothing I did was justifiable, um, but I want to make my fiance and our relationship whole again. And here's the thing, that yes, but is, I know it's going to take a long time, but that tells me that you probably don't really get that it's going to take a long time. We used to have a saying in my group for anger management where we would say 20 miles in, 20 miles out. If you walk 20 miles in the woods, you got to walk 20 miles back out. When you get yourself in a situation, you know, you get into that situation, you, you want to jump out a lot faster, but the truth is it takes time. It takes time. And the, the part that's, and again, this is just an email, but in this email, the part that I can pull and kind of highlight for you is to, when you say, and I'm not able to stay away. So that, that kind of is not like intentional. You didn't mean it. You didn't say it wrong. But what it shows is that you, by saying that, it shows that you're still impulsively thinking, I can fix this. But the impulse is what led to the violence. So there's something called the cycle of violence. The cycle of violence, it's, look, three steps, the easy way to remember it. Tension, explosion, honeymoon. So the tension period, that's the period and cycle of violence that is... So there's tension building and tension's awful. It's awful to feel in a relationship. Like, oh, how do you break that tension? You know, if, if, if it's an unhealthy pattern, it's usually broken through violence. And sometimes people say, well, uh, I've heard men say, well, she was, she was pushing me or she was egging me on. And if uh, I remember one time, my partner in South Lake Tahoe, uh, California, where we had a center where we worked with people who were convicted of violent crimes. We did a lot of work around anger management. And uh, she said to a guy one time when he said, well, she's pushing me. 
to do this kind of stuff. And she said, yeah, could you imagine being um, feeling that much tension for that long, what that was like for her? She probably did push you because what does she know that after you hit her, you end up trying to say you're saying you're sorry, you'll never do it again. And you get to that honeymoon period. And once you get to that honeymoon period after the explosion, all the promises are made, all of the good feelings are there. And those good feelings are in such stark contrast to the violence, to the threat of violence, that they people almost become addicted to that cycle where it goes tension, honeymoon, uh, tension, explosion, honeymoon. And it can be really challenging to be stuck in that cycle. So I, I want you to know, I'm, 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 I'm glad for you that you're saying right now, look, I'm ready to get some help. I know it's going to be a long process, but here's the reality. You might know it cognitively, but to know it experientially, that's going to take time. And there are going to be moments where you think, she should be recognizing that I'm never going to do this again, or she should feel better about what I did. She should forgive me. And all those are shoulds. Those are cartoon worlds, but they're also dangerous. It's dangerous because it's basically clinging to rigidity, which really drives violence in relationships. So when you're saying she must think this way, she must act this way. And if she doesn't, then what? What's the what? If you do this, then this. And that ambiguous if, then what kind of gives you freedom to start to be more violent than is ever called for. And as I said, I don't think violence is ever called for in a relationship. It's not, it's not okay. Um, I also want you to know that you can learn. Mike, I need you to know that you can learn. You can learn a different path. My experience was guys would get into my anger management group that get Oh, this is like, this information resonates with me. I know I was wrong. I'm ready to change. And then what would happen is after a couple months, they would go back to their old behavioral patterns because they couldn't sustain those behavioral changes. They spent their entire lives thinking one way and sure you can suspend that for a little bit, but until you really challenge it, break down your old way of thinking and really challenge your own thought processes then you're likely to keep doing the same things you've always done. So what would happen is they would go through waves and then the next wave would be mess up again uh, or hurt someone again and then come back again. Now I'm really ready. But sometimes it would take uh, different waves for different people to really be able to make that change. And then here's the other piece of information. And this is so important, Mike. This is something I teach as frequently as I can uh, from as the rooftops if I can. People see your actions, not your intentions. In other words, you may very well want your fiance to see your intentions that you are never going to do this or that again. But if your actions are showing her that she should see your intentions, then you're just showing the same impulsivity that led to the violence and hurting her in the first place. That's, that's why understanding that people see your actions, not your intentions is so powerful and so transformative because she's only seeing how you're being. And if right now this is, okay, we'll work this out. I'll do what I need to do. I'll get into therapy. A lot of times guys would get into my group and they'd say, look, I'm here voluntarily. 
In California, you're sentenced to 52 weeks of anger management after you've spent time in jail or prison for committing a violent crime. So a lot of times guys would preempt. They knew they were going to be sentenced to the 52 weeks, so they would start to come as soon as they realized that was going to be coming down the pike and then say, look, I'm here voluntarily at the beginning, you know, doing this before anybody even told me I had to do anything. And I'm good with it if the judge tells me. I'm like, yeah, you're good with it because you're going to be ordered to do it. Um, so it's almost like a front and it's not even you fronting like you're doing it wrong or bad or manipulative. It's a lot of times it's people's egos and our egos say, well, I couldn't see myself as abusive. It couldn't be me. I couldn't, I can't accept that I was abusive. I had reasons every time. You know, I know they weren't reasons, but there were reasons. And we start to convince ourselves and that's ego. So there's a long road ahead, but here's the thing. It's like, hell's half acre there is a beginning there's a middle there's an end you will get through it but i would align your expectations with the reality that it's going to take time i would align your expectations that that might not even be the most effective relationship for either one of you and it's certainly got to be a lot of time before you even attempt trying to get back together because there's a lot to work on so i hope you can find someone in your area to sit down with because whereas this is advice, you need to get in with that one-on-one counseling. It's so important. Mike, thanks so much for your email. That's powerful. This is Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti on KDKA Radio. This is Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti on KDKA Radio. The number is 866-391-1020. If you're struggling with something... And you want to talk it out, give me a call. So, look, if you were going to, you're a complicated person. You might joke around and say, oh, I'm a simple person. I want this or that. But you're a complex being. There are many aspects to you. There are many aspects to who you are, what you've done in your life. I mean, we we can probably measure what we've done as far as we can physically watch it. Almost like it's, look, there's so much video out there. This could be video footage of your whole life, but there's so much more to you than just what you've done. Think of every decision, every choice you make. There's a whole inner world in your mind. You know, there's more to you than what others see. You know that you feel that when people are angry with you, you kind of feel like, Hey, listen, I didn't mean to do this. I didn't mean to do that. You judge others by their actions, but you judge yourself by your intentions So you see your intentions, other people, they only ever see your actions. Now think about somebody, because this is emotional management. I thought, listen, I would love to give this audience tonight a way to really shift any anger you might be experiencing. So let's say that you're angry with someone. You can pick it right now. Pick whoever it is in your mind, anyone in the world that you are angry with, Imagine that person and imagine that side of them that is really evoking your anger, like just, just makes you boil. If you think about them, if you have somebody like that. So now I want you to think about this in that moment, when you're thinking about the person who angers you, you're only seeing that one side of them, that one part of them that is eliciting and evoking that anger in you. But there's more to that person than just that aspect. When you're angry, you don't want to see more to that person. But imagine that you could just journey with me to another side of that person. 
So maybe the vulnerable side of that person, the insecure side of that person. Imagine you're in that person's mind and his or her thoughts are spiraling with anxiety, with fear, insecurity. All of a sudden, when you see how many things that person is dealing with, it changes your empathy for that person. It changes the harshness of your anger because you see more of them. So dealing with anger management for 20 years, I've heard so many people say, well, I don't want to see the other the person's other side. I don't care. I just want to be angry. And maybe you do. Maybe you just want to be angry. Sometimes you just need to be angry. But you don't need to be angry all the time. You don't need to allow certain things to control you. And so what if you took the time to try to understand them? That doesn't mean accept them. It doesn't mean agree with what they're doing. It doesn't mean um, uh, just, okay, it's fine. I'm not going to work to change anything. But it does mean accepting the reality of two things. One, that you see things differently. And two, there is more to that person. There's more to that person. You know when others have been angry with you throughout your life, you've wanted them to see more of you. So my quest or my message tonight is for you to look at more aspects to others. See the complexities. See the complexities. Because when you're able to see the complexities, you take it to a whole different level. And actually what happens is, when you're just angry, you're in your fight or flight part of your brain. So it's called the amygdala. There are two of them, so amygdalae. So the amygdalae are your fight or flight response. Two they look look like two little almonds in your brain, and they are your kind of light up your fight or flight. They push those emotions, but when you start to think of the many facets, the many complexities of others, you trigger another part of your brain called the frontal cortex higher level thinking, and it's not in the emotional center. It's in the, that's what I would call the thinking center. And so now you're even on a neurological level, you're changing your anger because you're thinking about it instead of just emoting about it. Instead of fixating on the one part you don't like, you're now bringing in much more. So that's one of the most practical ways I can give you to deal with anger that you have. Maybe there's a public figure who angers you. And you fixate on this public figure and you think, I'm so angry at this person. This person is the source of my anger. But if you look at many facets to that person, it changes things for you. So I think that th when, you're, when you're angry with others, you're really doing a lot of damage to yourself. And if for no other reason than for yourself, my hope to you is that you work on some of this. So... I got an email from Joe. It says, Dr. Conti, I've watched a few of your videos on anger management. Thank you for sharing. I do have a question which did not pop out to me from your videos, and that is, how do I control myself in the heat of the battle? Could you help me out as to what I can do? Thank you, Joe. Joe, thank you so much for your email. Thank you for watching some of those videos. If you haven't seen some of my videos on YouTube, check it out. Just go to YouTube, hit Dr. Christian Conti. Um, Lots of different ones, but let's get to it. How do you deal with anger in the heat of battle? Well, so if Joe, if you were going to play basketball and you went to a college basketball coach and wanted to, he wanted to see how you shot, he might say to you, cause I had a coach, um, coach Pastner, um, he coaches Georgia tech 
He told me one time, he said, one of the most important things you can do as you're practicing is practice real-time shots, game-time shots. I don't want to see somebody just do set shots when no one's around because that rarely happens in a game. So you've got to practice at game speed. That's what high-level programs do. They practice at game speed. We master what we practice. So how do you get good at handling anger in the moment? Well, you've got to practice it. That means be mindful at the beginning of the day that you want to be in control of your emotions. And when things arise that might cause you anger, be prepared to start recognizing how you're handling it so that you can begin to practice a different path. If you were to train in martial arts, the goal would be to train in martial arts so that if someone attacked you, you'd be able to defend yourself. You would need to practice those martial arts to get good at them. Well, the same is true with with handling anger. Practice how you're handling it. Be mindful of it. When you're handling anger and it's not going well, something's happening and you're forcing others into, they should be doing it this way. They should be doing it that way. All of a sudden, you're trying to fit them into your cartoon world. And that cartoon world is real. It's real. It feels so real. This is how things should be. And I'm right about this. If everyone would just listen to me. And the problem with that is you dwell in anger. You live in anger. So to let that go, you got to practice. When the moment comes up, change what you're saying to yourself. So I used to play outfield in baseball. Now, if you see me, I'm a bigger guy, six feet, 250. And when I was younger, I was a lot lighter and faster. So I played outfield, played center field. In center field in baseball, if a person hit a line drive to you, the object to catch it is to kind of just drop. You drop your weight. That way you're not running in too fast for it or going back. You kind of just drop and you read where the line drive's coming. That's if it's coming right at you. So this is a good analogy for me for handling anger in life. Life's going to come right at you sometimes, right at you. And when it does, maybe you could drop your energy. Instead of reacting really quickly, impulsively, stepping forward or backward too quickly, drop your energy, practice saying, it's not the end of the world. I can handle it. It's not the end of the world. I'm okay. I can handle it. Practice saying that over and over again. I'm okay. It's not the end of the world. Or practice being uh, saying kind words like loving kindness, loving kindness, loving kindness. How can I bring peace to other people? I was telling someone recently about um, uh, being mindful in the moment. And I said, oftentimes when I'm walking, um, my mindset is thinking, how can I send out positive energy to others? Almost like an oceanic wave of positive compassion as I'm walking. Now think about my mindset, what what I must be experiencing internally when my mindset is about trying to send love and compassion to others versus someone walking down the road going, I can't believe this person thought this. I can't believe this person did this. I can't believe this person looks this way. That person's going to feel a lot of misery in their mind. But if you practice saying the types of things to you that will bring you the kind of peace that you want, you're going to get better at it. So it's, it's great to think, you know, the academic aspects to handling your emotions, but what matters way more is actually practicing it. So practice it. Joe, you are practic- you're getting good at whatever you're practicing. So my advice is to practice the peace that you want to master. This is Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti on KDK Radio.
It's your weekly checkup from the neck up. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. Emotional management, 866-391-1020 is the number. Um, look, I have, um, I want to go to some emails. Um, Mia says, how do I let go of the disappointment of a relationship that wasn't right for me? So great question. Great question. Um, and it's so true, right? We know if you know a relationship's not good and then you, you're, you get out of it, but then you think, well, it should have been right. It comes back to those shoulds. And I'm highlighting those tonight because I find it time and again in my work, it comes back to should. So I call it in my new book that's coming out soon, walking through anger. I call it the cartoon world. Um, Actually, I've been calling that for many years, probably my whole career. Uh, I think I first introduced it in my advanced techniques book um, for counseling and psychotherapy. But the the concept is cartoon world. Like, it's the way you think the world should be. And here's what happens. Here's why we linger and hang on to a disappointment of a relationship that wasn't right for us. Because we think it should have been. But it should have been. And we second guess ourselves. Well, I should have done this and I should have done that. But here's the deal. When we can step out of the cartoon world and jump into the real world, we go, I didn't make those choices. At the time, I did the best I could with what I had in every given moment. And and sometimes that means that we we really were never in a relationship that was good for us, but we kept trying to believe that it should be good for us. We kept seeing a person's potential. And look, I see p- potential in people all the time, but just seeing potential in someone doesn't mean I'm going to choose to want to spend my personal time with them because I see their potential because if they're not working on trying to fulfill that potential or a lot of times uh, I see this a lot in relationships, people will fall in love with who they want the person to be and they will convince themselves that that person was this other person, but they, they weren't, they never were. And so it's really, it becomes very disappointing but here's how do you let go how do you let go of that disappointment is you start to come to terms with what is not what should have been or what could have been instead what is going on and here's the thing as long as you're holding on to what should have been you're interfering with what could be right here and now so thinking about the past kind of puts you in the past. There's nothing wrong with thinking about the past. It can be beautiful to reminisce, think about good times. That's one of the most beautiful aspects of our lives, the gift to be able to reminisce and think about life and the fun experiences we've had. What a gift. So there's nothing wrong with that. But if what we're reminiscing about are all the mistakes we've made and just being hard on ourselves, well, there's a difference. Are we recalling it so that we can learn from it and grow and not do the same mistakes in the future? That's great. But if we're recalling it just to dwell in it, well, my research throughout my whole career has taught me that when people live in shame, they act out of shame. So if you think you're no good piece of nothing, then that's what you're going to act like. Why not hurt others? That's why to me, it's so important not to dwell in shame. But to say, let's break ourselves free from what we should have done or even from what we think others should have been and just go, okay, it wasn't that. I built it up to be something in my mind, but here's what it was. You know, speaking of that and speaking of earlier, we talked about attractiveness, like in a relationship, nothing to do with looks, but having to do with energy and what, what it's like to be around someone. I once had a client where 
when she was um, talking about a relationship that wasn't good for her, I said, let's do a want ad. Let's, let's write a want ad on my, on my whiteboard. Like, what would you want in a relationship right now? And she was like, somebody who, you know, wants to go to the movies and laugh and whatever she liked or whatever. So then I said, well, let's write down what you actually have in this relationship. And it was like verbally abusive, um, angry, jealous, and all these things that she didn't like. And so I said, so what you want is this. What you have is this. Now, you can sit here and pretend all day that this your your boyfriend is this other thing, but he's not. His actions are showing you he's not. And when you really write it down and you look at it that way, you go, okay, am I trying to get something that's unrealistic? Look, I believe wholeheartedly people can change. I believe that with all of me, people can change. That's why I do what I do for a living. The question isn't can they change? The question is are they putting effort in to try to change? That's the difference. So when you can observe that, when you can step back and see that, you learn. And the same is true for you as well. There might be things you need to work on to change. Just like we had a great caller earlier tonight talk about if I went from job to job, well, I was the common denominator, so I'm going to look at my role. What did I do? How, what did I contribute to that? That's probably the healthiest thing you can possibly say. Because when you look at your role and you look at what you contributed, then you have an actual choice a chance to change whatever you were doing ineffectively. So when people tell me, well, I've had all these terrible relationships, it's difficult not to say you are the one, and in fact, I say it all the time, I say it with love, but you're the one common factor in all those relationships. So it's not enough just to recognize it. The next step is changing it. Because a lot of people get stuck in just recognizing it and they could recognize it their whole lives. Yes, I know, I know, I know. But are you actually doing anything differently? The work to learn about ourselves is powerful. It takes courage. It takes effort, but it's possible. That's why every week we're here. That's why KDK brings this show to you, um, Emotional Management, every Monday night. And I always love hearing from you, always. And I enjoy the stuff we talk about. I appreciate the callers. I appreciate the positive feedback and the comments and the emails that we get. So thank you so much. And thanks for being with us tonight. This is Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti on KDKA Radio.